Hey guys, it's Liz Kelly. Throughout the month of December, the Ringer staff will be releasing their year-end reviews covering the best and worst of 2018 in sports, TV, movies, music, and more. This week on the site, you can read Chris Ryan and Allison Herman on the best TV shows of 2018 and Chase Serrano and Rob Harvilla on the best albums of the year. You can check it all out on TheRinger.com. Hey, it's Shay. This is another bonus episode of Villains. Shout out to everyone who called in a question. We're in the triple digits now when we check the voicemails, which is a fucking... That's a lot of voicemails to get. And that's cool. It's hard to get people to talk on the phone, but a lot of people are doing it. That means the show is growing. So thank you. Let's answer a bunch of questions about Killmonger from Black Panther now. Hey, Shay, this is Sam from Atlanta. Uh, I was just curious if you thought the Killmonger would have been any different if he had been born in the South instead of been in Oakland. So maybe in a place like Houston or Atlanta. Thanks, man. If Killmonger is from the South, I think his clothes are the same. I think his haircut is the same. I think his confidence level is the same. Maybe the one thing that's different, though, a substantial thing that's different, is whatever music it is that's playing in the background of that opening scene when he's in front of his apartment playing basketball with his friends right in the beginning of the movie. In the current version, it's too short that's playing, I believe. If Killmonger is playing that game in the South, then it's going to be UGK or Outkast or the Hot Boys or something like that, depending on where you are. I've not listened to the Hot Boys in forever. Kara, can you play something by the Hot Boys right here? Can we listen to... Can you play The Block is Hot by Lil Wayne? just for like 30 seconds. Let's just listen to that, everybody. We're going to do that for a minute. Straight off the black plate. my hand, trusting no man. Got my black cat. Running this thing, you understand? We singing, blazing, mass pumping, teasing. Holly gold, stem, take over where I was raising. Niggas busting heads in. Running, ducking, freezing. Rocks under their tongues and keys under their beards. Good for the real niggas, turn it God, I miss when Little Wayne was good. <laughs> Next question. Hi, Shay. My question is about Killmonger's background. Um, do you think he would have turned out evil if his father hadn't been killed? Do you think he would have used his brain and been like this great superhero, good guy? Or was he destined to be bad no matter what the outcome? Um, great. Thanks. Love the podcast. And I'm Elisa from San Antonio. Tim Duncan for life. Bye. This is one of those you can't run away from your destiny kind of situations. He turns out the same either way because his dad had already been radicalized. So what Killmonger is doing, at least in theory, is an extension of what his father wanted to accomplish. So if his father is still alive, then he's going to be pumping those ideas into him either way. Killmonger's father has that great speech right before T'Chaka kills him when he's talking about setting up Wakanda to sort of rule over everybody the right way. Kara, can you play that right here? Can we hear that clip? I observed for as long as I could that leaders have been assassinated, communities flooded with drugs and weapons. They are overly policed and incarcerated. All over the planet, our people suffer because they don't have the tools to fight back. With vibranium weapons, they could overthrow every country and Wakanda could rule them all the right way. So I figure either way, 
Killmonger is growing up wanting that, chasing that, that idea that his father had. Maybe he'd have been personally less angry about things if his dad hadn't been killed. But all things considered, he's going to grow into adulthood as the same person, as the Killmonger we see in the movie. Maybe his dad would have stopped him from getting that haircut. I don't know. <laughs> Next question. Hi, Shay. This is Andrew in San Antonio. I was calling to see what you thought about Killmonger's hair and where it ranks amongst the top five in villains of all time and the soundtrack, if you think that reaches the top five as well. Thank you. Killmonger has a solid haircut. I mean, I just made a joke a second ago about his dad stopping him from getting that haircut. But, I mean, if I'm being honest, it's a cool haircut. It's stylish. It's, like, interesting. It hangs in his face a little, which hair that hangs in your face always amplifies what kind of face that you have. Like, if you're handsome and you've got some hair dangling over your forehead, it makes you more handsome. If you're ugly and that same thing is happening, it makes you ugly. The way that I learned this is there was this haircut that everyone was getting when I was in high school. This was probably my freshman or sophomore year. And the haircut is you would shave your entire head except for a small patch of hair right at the center of your forehead. You just have bangs is all that you would have. Everything else was shaved with like a one or a zero. And there was this guy at my school named Billy Cavarubius and he had the fucking, the best bangs that I had ever seen in my life. They hung down in front of his face perfectly. He looked like how Antonio Banderas looked in Desperado after his ponytail had come a little undone. Like he looked like that all of the time. They were just hanging there. Like imagine you get to live your life like Antonio Banderas in Desperado. I saw that and I was like, ooh, that's it. That's what I want. I want to be like Billy Cavarubias, who is being like Antonio Banderas. Like that's what I want. Give that to me now. I went, I got my hair cut like that and it was a total fucking disaster. I got home, I looked in the mirror all excited and shit and it was just like, womp, womp. Like that's what it felt like when I saw it, it felt like that sound that they played in The Price is Right when a contestant loses. Kara, can you play that sound right here? That womp womp womp. womp. <laughs> That's what I heard when I looked at my haircut in the mirror for the first time. Anyway, yes, Killmonger's haircut is great. It's top five. Easy. It's a top five villain haircut easy. I think it's him. And it's Nurse Ratchet from One Flew Over the Cougar's Nest. She had this great sort of double swoop thing going on. So it's Killmonger, Nurse Ratchet. It's Bodhi's surfer cut from Point Break. Scar from The Lion King. Who, Scar was like a bad dude and a weasel. And he looked malnutritioned. But he had good hair. He had a good haircut. So it's Killmonger, Nurse Ratchet, Bodhi, Scar. And give me Glenn Close's fried perm. And Fatal Attraction. That's a good, that was a good haircut. It was a good haircut for, for like the character she was playing. There's your top five. Hey, Shay. What's up? It's Shay. Love the pod. And I listened to the last question that you asked and you said the word malnutrition. I think you meant malnourished. Malnutrition is the word. All right, I'll hang up and listen. Ugh. Shay, don't be a dick, dude. Like, you knew what I meant when I said that word. That's all language is. Like, you understood what I was saying. So it was fine. Just 
Don't do that. Next question. Hi, Shay. This is Brian. I was wondering what you think about the decision to kill off uh, Killmonger at the end of the movie. Think that he was effective enough where they could have made him a long-running villain in the franchise, like uh, Darth Vader or the Joker. But also, I'm a fan of finality, so I'm just wondering what your thoughts are um, on that decision specifically. Thanks. It was the right move to kill him off. He showed up, gave us a bunch of great stuff to talk about, then died a proper villain's death. Like, that's what he needed to do there. His whole thing was he was this very powerful but ultimately tragic figure. Like, his mom had been sent to prison. His father was murdered. He grew up in a system that pumped him full of hate and heartache. Like, he has to die. The movie has to end that way. Plus... He was just so aggressive about everything. It would have been really weird for him to have to wake up the next day. Like, let's say Shuri healed him. He pulls the spear out. He's like, let me die. I'm going to die. Black Panther, after he falls down, he's like, you know what? I need to do the right thing here. I pick him up, carry him to Shuri. Shuri fixes him real fast. Like, she fixed a broken spine. She can fix a knife wound. Easy breezy. So Shuri heals him. He wakes up the next day. It would have been weird for him to walk out of his room like... Everybody's there looking at him. And he's like, oh, you know what? What's up, everyone? My bad about the whole overthrowing your government thing. Like, oh, am I bad about slitting that one woman's throat? Like, I don't know what I was doing. I was having a bad, like, it would have just, it wouldn't have worked. He has to die right there. Next question. Hi, this is Courtney from South Carolina. And my question is, um, there was a lot of talk when Henry Cavill stepped or was, when the news came out that he wasn't going to be Superman anymore, of Michael B. Jordan maybe being named as the next Superman. And so my question is, he obviously is amazing as Killmonger, but is there a superhero that you would like him to play, whether it's, you know, Marvel or DC? Thank you. I would be happy if every movie had Michael B. Jordan in it playing every single role. He's wonderful. He's one of my very favorite actors. Him and I have been together for a long time since he was a child since I was almost a child we've sort of I've grown up watching him in these roles so I want to see him in as many as possible it'd be great to watch him as Superman if for no other reason he'd be wonderful in that role but also it'd be funny to watch like alt-right Twitter lose their fucking minds about a black Superman I can't even imagine how terrible it would be on the day when that announcement was made I remember when they announced like we're considering Idris Elba for James Bond. And there was a fucking global meltdown among the white supremacists. <laughs> As though James Bond would ever care about a white supremacist. Anyway, he would be fine as Superman, but he was good enough as Killmonger. He was interesting enough as Killmonger that I don't think we need to see him in any more superhero movies. Like, let that be his legacy. Let's have him focus on playing Adonis Creed in the Creed franchise. Let's let him build that up. That should be the thing we remember him for because that's the role that we've seen him do the most in, in like the most courageous, sort of empathetic, actorly way. He's just perfect as that character. I want to see him in that as much as possible. Give me fucking 25 Adonis Creed movies. Give me, give me Creed 17 where he's fighting a guy who knew Clubber Lang's brother. And I'm like, I'm fucking in. I want to see that. I need to see that. 
Next question. Hey, Shay, this is Brandon from Cincinnati, Ohio. I was just wondering if you thought that Killmonger listened to the mixtape that Claw talks about. I'm sure you got this question a million times, but I'm curious to know what you think uh, on that. And if he did listen to it, what do you think he rated it out of five stars? Thanks. He 100% listened to that mixtape, yes. Here's what happened. They have that scene where Killmonger shoots and kills Claw, right? This is right after he shoots and kills his girlfriend. And then he's like, bang, 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 you're dead too now. So he shoots him. After he shoots him, of course he's going to go through Claw's pockets. Like, you have to do that to see if there's anything worth taking because Claw is already this world-renowned criminal. Like, let's just see what's going on. What do you have going on inside these pockets here? There's no way he doesn't search his body after he's dead. So Killmonger does that. He finds Claw's mixtape. Claw is carrying the mixtape because he knows in his head, he doesn't know he's about to die, but he knows they're about to get in an airplane later that day, and it's just going to be those two people, those three people confined in a small space with nowhere for them to escape. He's probably going to take that out and be like, oh, we should listen to this for a little while. So Claw has it. Killmonger finds it. He probably listens to it on the plane ride to Wakanda. Remember, he gets in the plane, he flies straight over there. That's probably what he was listening to. And I figure, given what we know about Claw, it's probably going to be some kind of like, some kind of house music. Remember the house music that was popular in the late 90s? Like Raquel's In a Dream? He's going to make music that's like, that is what he looks like. Because he's already like a digital dude. He's got a digital arm or, <laughs> or whatever. I don't know. That's probably what's going on. I'm sure Killmonger listened to it and he hated it. He doesn't seem like the music type. He seems like the guy at the gym who's working out super hard and he's got earphones in and you like you kind of overhear it and it's just a person fucking screaming in his ear while he's bench pressing 275 pounds. <laughs> I don't know. Is that a lot? Is 275 pounds a lot to bench press? I have no idea. I've been watching CrossFit documentaries. And these freaks are doing like, they're squatting several hundred pounds like it's nothing. I have no concept of what is or is not a lot of weight. I'm like when I ask my kids how much something costs, I ask my youngest son how much like orange juice costs. And he's like, oh, it's it's $700, daddy. The same price as a car, which is also seven. Like, I don't know. I don't know what's going on here. Next question. Hey, this is Chris. Uh, love the podcast, man. Thanks for everything you do. I was just curious why you uh, chose Killmonger. I know you said on Twitter that you spent weeks deciding between him and Heath Ledger's Joker. And I was just curious what went into that decision and how you decided that. You know, I might think Joker might be the better villain. I think that Killmonger is better to talk about because they go into his background more and it's easier to dissect who he is. And I was just curious if that put in part of it or what else was the reason. All right. If we're talking about straight up performances, then Heath Ledger as the Joker is clearly a superior performance. I mean, we're talking about a legacy defining performance from Heath there. We're talking about no questions asked, the greatest superhero movie villain performance that has ever happened, that we've ever seen. He's better than every single person in every single superhero movie, villain or not. But if we're talking about villains that are fun to talk about and fun to dig into and interesting to talk about and interesting to dig into, then Killmonger sort of runs away with that title. He just has 
more angles. There are more crevices to crawl around inside of. Like one of the fun conversations to have about Killmonger is was Michael B. Jordan good as Killmonger? You can't have that conversation with Heath Ledger. That's automatically out the window because he was the greatest of all time in that role. It's just not that much fun. And that's really what we're looking for when we're picking through which villains to feature on villains. I want to talk about a person who's fun to talk about. Heath Ledger was brilliant as the Joker, but Killmonger is just more interesting to discuss if I'm sitting around with my friends. Next question. Hi, it's Susanna from Houston. My question is, would you consider Killmonger's speech as he dies the best of all villain death scene lines? The only other one that comes to mind is Heath Ledger's Joker when he says, um, oh gosh, what does he say? <laughs> he says madness, you know, is like gravity. All it takes is a little push. Uh, anyway, I'm sure there are others. I'm interested to see what you think. Thanks. Love the show. Go Texans. I'm very excited. We have so many Texas people. on. <laughs> everybody's going to, like, I already know, everybody's going to send me a bunch of tweets and say, like, I can't believe you only picked, you picked so many Texas people. That wasn't me. I didn't do that. That was Kara. Kara goes through all the voicemails. As I mentioned earlier, there, was, there were hundreds of voicemails. Kara goes through all of them. She picks out the questions that she wants. So send your tweets to her, not to me. Anyway, I can't call it the best. That's not the best thing a person says or best speech of a villain says when they're dying. It's definitely and obviously very great. When we were doing the podcast, we talked a bit about how some of the parts where Killmonger was delivering his lines felt a little wooden. And Chris proposed the idea that it was because Killmonger would have already rehearsed those lines ahead of time. He's been preparing for that moment the whole life, so it's going to sound like he's preparing for it. And that was a really brilliant pull by Chris. But I think it had less to do with more than that and more to do with Michael B. Jordan just being at least a tiny bit uncomfortable playing that kind of role. You know, he's oftentimes at his best when he's doing a less powerful person or somebody who's like struggling with things more outwardly. Killmonger kept everything in and turned it all into anger. Michael B. Jordan is really good when he gets to wear it on the outside and show that hurt. And when he's dying... When he gets to be hurt, when he gets to be vulnerable, he's wonderful in that moment. Like He's unbelievable at pulling off that kind of emotion. That's why that speech is so good, because he's doing those things that he's the best at right there. And that's why that's what you remember from his performance. You remember that part, and you remember the part when he's like, hey, auntie, just because it was fucking unexpected and really funny. But you can't put it in the top five. You can maybe put it in top 15 or top 20 or something like that. Not top five though, like without really even researching it, I can think of other final lines from villains and movies that are better than that part. Like you have Al Pacino and Scarface when he's like, you think bullets can kill me? And, <laughs> and then he fucking gets killed by bullets. Or there's Lucy Liu in Kill Bill when she's like, that was really a Hattari Hanzo sword right after she gets the top of her head sliced off. There's Joe Pesci in Goodfellas when he does the very quick, like, oh no, when he realizes he's about to die. I don't know if Christian Bale is the villain in The Prestige or not, but I love that abracadabra line he gives right before he gets hanged. Like, there are a lot of other ones that we can immediately put above Killmonger. I don't think he gets to be in the top five there. No, top 20, maybe. 
Next question. What's up, Shay? This is Alexis. And Jackson. We have one question for you. If we were to put a fight with Adonis Creed and Killmonger... Before the heart-shaped herb, so this is Killmonger when he's still, like, normal human strength. Who do you think would win? Thanks. We love the podcast. Go villains. Oh, shit. Two people calling in to ask a question. I didn't even know that that was a thing that people did. That's cool. If Creed and Killmonger are fighting, it's Killmonger who's walking away the winner there. He's just too vicious is all. Creed is a noble, noble dude. Killmonger is strangling old women and shit. Like, that's a different level. That's all that there is to it. I remember one time back when I was teaching. I'm not sure if I've told this story or not. But one time when I was teaching, I had this new student who was transferred into my class. I, it was the middle of the year or like early in the second semester or something like that. But he got transferred in. He was this real sort of hard-ass kid. And so he showed up, and it was clear he was trying to make sure everybody understood that he was the new tough kid, which I get. He was transferring over from, like, the Behavior Academy, so he had a bunch of stuff going on. He needed everybody to know very quickly that he was the new dude because that's just sort of how you establish your self-worth when you're raised and that when you attend school in that kind of environment. The problem here was, though, the class that he was transferred into was the same class as, like, the current tough guy in the school. So they immediately sort of knocked heads. And after a few days, it eventually boiled over into an actual confrontation. I'm in class. I'm, like, explaining something. These two kids start arguing. They're sitting at separate tables. I was teaching science, so we don't have desks. We have tables. Each table has four seats in it. I made sure to put them in on, like, opposite sides of the class. And apparently they had gotten into it earlier in the day. And so they're in my class now and they're both already a little heated. And one of them does something or gives the other one a look. And that's all that you need. I'm standing there at the front of the class. I hear the sound. Chairs sliding on the floor when someone stands up very quickly makes a very distinct sound. Like you hear that, you automatically know some shit is about to go down. That's what I hear. I turn around. I see them both standing up. And one of them the original tough guy, he's like, what then, bitch, post up. Like, post up is the phrase that you use in middle school or high school when you're challenging someone to a fight, you tell them to post up. But so he's like, what's up then, bitch, post up. And the new tough kid, he stands up, and he's like, come on then, I ain't afraid to go back to jail. And as soon as he said that, as soon as anyone says, I ain't afraid to go back to jail, like, that's the end of the fight. The old tough guy knew that the new tough guy was operating on a different level. That's Creed and Killmonger right here. They'd have started fighting. Creed would have been trying to work the body or whatever, like Rocky taught him. And Killmonger would have just taken a knife out and stabbed him in the chest. That would have been the end. Creed would have, what the fuck? I didn't know we were allowed to stab. Now I'm stabbed. And there's the end of your... <laughs> there's the end of your fight. Killmonger wins. Next question. My name is Brianna, and I'm calling from Skype in the Netherlands. So, anyways, I was curious um, if you had heard the news that uh, Michael B. Jordan said that he really went to a dark place for his portrayal of Killmonger, and that it he had to go to a therapist afterwards, and that it took him really like a month to kind of pull out of sort of this isolation and like sadness that he was feeling. 
And I was just wondering um, if you really felt that in his performance, if you thought that that could have been stronger. Like, is this something that we've seen in other villains that we might discuss at a later date? Like, what is this thing about people playing villains in movies and it really affecting them personally, you know? Um, I'm just curious to know your thoughts on that. Thanks. I think you see that the most in the final scene that we talked about a little earlier, yeah. And we've seen these examples of people getting super far or super deep into villain roles and it's sort of messing with them a bit. I remember reading about how Jared Leto was sending dead animals to his castmates when he was playing the Joker in Suicide Squad, which makes sense because metaphorically, Suicide Squad was like staring at a dead animal for two, for two hours. <laughs> That's the dorkiest joke. Kara, I'm going to do that again. Can you play in the background or right after I say it, one of those badooms? All right, I'm just going to read that last line, which makes sense because metaphorically, Suicide Squad was like staring at a dead animal for two hours. Hey, yo. <laughs> that was dumb. I, and, and I'm mostly just joking here. There are parts of Suicide Squad that are fine. It's just funny to make fun of it. Oh, but another, another Joker thing, this is a much more serious one, is I remember there was this video of Jack Nicholson where somebody asked him about Heath Ledger after Heath Ledger had died. Heath Ledger had died of an overdose not too long after he played the Joker. And I want to say that Jack Nicholson was already on the record as like he was upset that nobody reached out to him to ask him about when he played the Joker. So when somebody ran up on him, you know, the paparazzi shows up, they're flashing all of his cameras. Somebody asks him to comment on Heath Ledger's death. And he was like, he said something real shitty back like, well, I warned him or something in that very Jack Nicholson voice. But these actors and actresses who play evil people that really dig all the way into those roles, like I can't imagine that's an easy thing. It wouldn't mess with anybody if you're really getting into it. Plus, I can't imagine it's easy watching yourself on screen killing women and children and shit. Like that's tough. That's gotta be that's gotta be hard. The uh all right, this QA turned into a real bummer at the end here. Let's shut it off here. listening we've got another full-length episode coming out on thursday it's the animated movie villain entry it's really good it's funny it's smart my guests were fantastic don't miss it listen to villains or go to hell <laughs>